What's up, everyone? How are you guys doing? Hey, we're getting ready to start the afternoon session with Pastor Matt Keller. This is the Help I Thought I Would Be Bigger by Now session. Matt Keller is the pastor and leader of Next Level Church in Southwest Florida. He has three campuses down there, a Dream Center uh, as well with those guys. Matt Keller is an author. Uh, I think he's written about as many books as John Maxwell has. Those are all, uh, by the way, available in the cafe right out here if you want to take a look and grab some of those. Uh, he started the Next Level Leadership where he really pours into pastors and leaders of churches and has a heart to do that. But he also uh, does some uh, coaching for other business leaders through his advanced leadership. In fact, he has a conference uh, down in Southwest Florida tomorrow. Is that right? Friday. Friday. And so he's getting geared up for that where thousands of business leaders from around Southwest Florida will come and, and hear from his heart. And those are all the things that you can read about Pastor Matt. The things that you can't is that he really does have a heart for you, a heart for growing your churches, a heart for developing leaders. He's an incredible husband to Sarah. He's an incredible father to both Will and Drew. If you guys would help me just kind of welcome Pastor Matt Keller to the stage. Bro, thank you. Awesome. Have a seat, have a seat. It's so good to see you guys. I am just absolutely honored uh, to be able to share with you this afternoon. Uh, and I want to make the most of, absolute most of our time uh, together this afternoon. And so um, we are going to talk about help. I thought we'd be bigger by now, uh, or I thought we'd be further along by now, I think is actually how I have it titled. But uh, either way, so, so Colby has been in our brotherhood coaching. Uh, what we do with Next Level Coaching um, is we have a lot of different, we have staff coaching products uh, as well as a, 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 that's called Your Next Level uh, for lead pastors. The seven sessions all online. Uh, it's 90 minutes a month of video teaching. It's basically seven of my best leadership talks or, or defining leadership talks uh, on how to grow organizations and churches. And so if you're interested in that, I'm going to tell you how to find all of that stuff. And then our brotherhood that Colby is a part of uh, is uh, small groups for pastors, essentially. And so uh, this year we have 110 pastors in Next Level Coaching, and it's a hybrid uh, where we get together three times in person during the year. Uh, we fly to Atlanta twice. We hole up in a hotel. We eat pizza. We stay up late. Um, we pray together. We have communion. We worship. We coach. And we do small group. Uh, and then in the off months, we're online with our group for two hours a month. Uh, and then in October, all of them, when the weather turns cold up north, all of, all of those pastors fly with their wives and their teams to Southwest Florida, where I live in Fort Myers. And we have our next level leadership conference for church leaders uh, in October. Uh, I don't exactly have the dates for that. But um, so, so if you're interested in anything next level coaching, here's the website. If you go to mattkelleronline.com. Uh, but here's what I want to do. I want to, I want to be a blessing to you. Uh, and just want to add value to you like crazy today. So here's the website I need you to write down. Ready? MattKellerOnline.com slash ArcBonus. MattKellerOnline.com slash ArcBonus. And when you go there, there's information about our Your Next Level groups, uh, pastors that we're launching uh, here in just a couple of weeks. We've got a couple of those that are launching that are going to run into the summer. So there's that information, but then there are two talks on there, and one is called um, is a is a teaching I did for our staff at our staff retreat a couple years ago called Ten Ways to Get Out of a Leadership Rut, and I figure if you're in a in a breakout session called Help, I thought we'd be bigger by now. You might be in a leadership rut, so if you are, that talk will will help you get out of that um, based on some principles from the Apostle Paul. And then the other uh, talk that's on there, it's actually a video. So that the 10 ways to get out of a leadership rut is an audio. The video is called Comparison. Uh, and it's a talk that I did five years ago. And I watched it this week. And I'm a little embarrassed because I was very young. My hair was very not gray. And I paid money for that for a lot of years because uh, I wasn't ready to be old yet. Because I started going gray. I was fine until we planted the church. And then like at 26, 27, man, the gray hair hit. And I'm, my wife looked at me. She's like, you are not going to be the old guy yet. And so I wasn't for eight years. And then I was. So anyway, it's from 2013, our Next Level Leadership Conference that we did back then called Next Level Experience Weekend. And so um, it is all about the comparison trap in, in ministry and in leadership. And I'm going to touch on it just for a second here in a few minutes in the notes. Uh, but both of those are, are on there just for free, just our way of adding value to you like crazy. Uh, and so I just want to say welcome to all of you. And on behalf of the ARC and the lead team of the ARC, we're just absolutely honored uh, that you're here this week at ARC. And, and we just know 
know that there's gonna be just so many nuggets, so many moments with God. One touch from the, the Lord in his presence can change everything, can it? And here's what I believe. I believe it's possible that some of us today, in this session, God wants to give you your moment. That you're, you've, been, you've been walking in a, a pit of discouragement and the truth is, we've all said it, haven't we? Man, I just, I just thought we'd be further along by now. I don't know, I just, I just thought we'd be, we'd, we'd be bigger by now. I thought we'd have a greater footprint by now. I thought we'd have a greater impact by now. I thought we'd be bigger. I thought we'd be further along than we are right now. I know for me, probably three to four times a year, this is, this is something that comes out of my mouth. Whether it's you know, starting a new location uh, or you know, just a, a program we're working on or an overhaul of some ministry, we've all said it. And that's why you're in the room. And in here, I want, let me, so let me start by kind of giving us attention. And then I want to talk through uh, five things, uh, truths about expectations that we need to understand. Um, and I think this is going to help us. And then my goal is to leave us about 15 or 20 minutes for Q&A uh, on the back end here. I think some of the, the best nuggets of leadership um, come out in Q&A. So as I'm talking, if there are questions that emerge, write those down uh, and get ready for that because we're going we're gonna to run around uh, and see if we can answer and speak into whatever issues you're dealing with, be it discouragement or expectations or otherwise. However we can help, that's why, I'm, that's why we're here. So, so let me start with this big premise and that, that there's a tension when it comes to vision in our ministries. And the tension is this, that we all strive for a there, right? A mountaintop, a there, a vision, that we, we must have that picture of there in our mind because that's what motivates us. That's what drives us as leaders. It's the picture of there. But here's the tension, ready? Here's, here's the paradox of leadership, we must have a there to strive for, but there is no there yet. Did you catch it? Let me say it again. I know it's late in the afternoon. Stay with me. If you haven't had coffee, there's plenty of stations. Run and come back. Watch this. We have to have a there that we're aiming at, that we're striving for, the mountain, the next mountain that we're trying to climb. But what we discover, the truth is, in ministry and in leadership, there is no there yet. So watch this. There isn't bad. It's absolutely essential. But when the time it takes to get from here to there is different than what we want or what we expected it to be, that's called discouragement. Do you see it? We have to have a there. We have to be striving. And, and theirs have to have deadlines. There ha we have to set a goal. But when the time it takes to get from where we are to where we believe God has called us to go is different than what we hoped or planned or anticipated or expected for it to be, what that is called is discouragement. And discouragement is one of the greatest tactics of the enemy toward your ministry. Well, where does discouragement come from? Here's where it comes from, ready? It comes from unmet expectations. Unmet expectations. That is where discouragement comes from. And around our church, you know what we call unmet expectations? Hurt. The gap between what we expected to happen and what actually happened, reality, is called hurt. Now, especially if you're a man in the room, you don't like that. I'm not hurt, I'm just angry. No, you're hurt. No, I'm not hurt, I'm just, I'm just frustrated. No, you're hurt. The gap between what we expect to happen and what actually happens, right? This happens in relationships all the time. This happens in your marriage all the time. I expected for her to fill in the blank. What she actually did or didn't do was here. Guess what that is? That's called hurt. So watch this. There has to be a there. The gap between where we are and there when it's not, when, when we don't reach our goal in the time we think it should, it leads to discouragement. Discouragement is really an unmet expectation which is really about hurt. So watch this. Here's what I want us to do. We've got to deal with the reality of this. You know why? Because in ministry, we will probably end up with more times where, where we have that gap in expectation 
than times where we actually hit our goal in the time frame or hit the expectation that we actually thought it was gonna happen. Like, I bet you we will be, more, we will be discouraged more than encouraged when it comes to the there yet of our ministry. So here's what that means. We gotta figure out how to deal with this. We gotta figure out how to manage this expectation gap. So here's what I wanna do. Let me throw out to us five places that we experience an expectation gap in our leadership. Five places that we experience an expectation gap in our leadership, and then I wanna talk about three ways that we resolve that. What do we do about it? So here's the first thing. Number one, uh, five places we experience an expectation gap in our leadership. The first, number one, is expectations from comparison. Expectations from comparison. In Psalm chapter 73, I love the book of Psalms because we get to see it like inside the mind of one of the greatest leaders who, who is recorded in the Bible, and that's David. And so many of the Psalms were written by David or written by one of the men who were near David, and Psalm 73 is one of those. And David was struggling with this comparison thing. He was just like us. He was a church planner. He was a pastor who was, was at a conference like this, so to speak, that was looking across the, the way, looking across the hill, going, everybody else is succeeding except for me. It's Psalm 73, verse one says this, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. So he's going, I know that God is good, right? And that's... that's <laughs> That's the opening line of every conversation you've had this week. Dude, how's it going? It's good. That's what David's doing. Surely God is good to Israel. He blessed those who are pure in heart, brother. Praise the Lord. That every one of us have said Psalm 73 1 all week. Dude, how's it going? It's good. It's good. Bro, how's the ministry? It's good. It's good. That's what David's doing. Verse 2 But as for me, there's always a but to the good, isn't there? God is surely, God is good to Israel. But for me, verse two, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. So David goes vulnerable right here. Here's what he says. How did he almost slip and fall? How did he almost lose his foothold? For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. The thing that almost tripped David up in this season of his life and leadership and ministry was comparison. And he spends the next several verses, verse four is the one I want us to key on because he's talking about looking across the way, looking at the church down the street that's half our age and twice our size. He's talking about being at the conference and hearing all of the amazing stories of and all of the thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions and looking at his own ministry and going, seriously, like I'm like doing portable church in a cave. Like my ministry stinks, man. It's so interesting when you study Psalm 73, which by the way, that comparison video on that link, that's what that's, it's, it's all about Psalm 73. I break this down. Verse four, he, he says, I looked across, I envied, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Verse four, they have no struggles. Show of hands, you're in church. How many of you have looked across this week in any direction and went, including this one, and went, must be nice to not have any struggles. Must be nice to have a budget like that. Must be nice to have buildings like that. Must be nice to have overflow rooms like this. How many, like our, our largest auditorium seats 585 and that's like maxed. I think this room seats 1,000. Like, no, no, like, they don't even know we're here. Like, like, this is an afterthought right now. Like, this is like almost twice as big as my biggest building. And I have three buildings, two permanent, one portable. Like, are you serious? They have no struggles, David said. Listen, I'm gonna say it like I wrote it. Comparison is a deadly downhill slide that is really, really, really hard to get up from. There is no benefit, leaders, to comparison. There is no upside to comparison. 
And leaders, whenever we compare ourselves to someone else's journey, we are setting ourselves up for hurt and pain. This was the first two years of our church. We're, our church is 16 years old and we moved from Indiana to, to Fort Myers, Florida, started the church, knew nobody. And I had lunch with a, a pastor who's in Cape Coral, who's a, a city across the river from us. Sarah and I were living in Cape Coral at the time. And um, this pastor just was so nice and so gracious and just awesome guy. And he said, hey, you know what? There's a whole group of about a half dozen of us pastors that get together every week on Mondays. We'd love to have you join us. Like, and nobody, like these guys have been together like 14 years at a time or whatever. Like they've been together almost like 30 years. Like these guys are covenant relationships. Nobody gets invited into this group. And here I am, 27 years old, brand new, no friends, no nobody. And so I start showing up to these Monday lunches with these guys. And Sarah can tell you, like for the first two years, like I would, she finally looked at me and she, I would come home from these lunches and be so discouraged because these guys were established, they're old, like older, like I was younger than them by 15 years, like the youngest guy, like, like it was like, and I would, their churches were like 600 people, like they were huge, and it was just like, and we're in a movie theater, and we have 19 on our second weekend, and it's just awfulness, and it's like, it, we're counting the usher, like, or you know, the, the guy that unlocks the door for you, like the cleaning, the over, the midnight cleaning crew, count them. And I remember coming home one time from one of those lunches on that Monday and Sarah looked at me, she goes, you know what? I'm not sure you should hang out with these guys anymore because you come home and you are, it takes you two days to recover from the discouragement, what she didn't say, what I'll say now, the discouragement of comparison. One of the number one places that can just destroy us in our mind is comparison. It's huge. Here's the second one. Number two. So number one, expectations from comparison. Number two, expectations from the outside. What causes this expectation gap in our life and our leadership? It's expectations from the outside. What am I talking about? I'm talking about leaders around us or beyond us or above us. I'm talking about sending churches or organizations Big donors or key donors, key supporters. And leaders, listen, all of a sudden we can start to feel this pressure. Well, they, I mean, they gave $5,000 to our startup like fund. Like they, like they gave 50 grand. Like they loaned us, you know, 30,000 for our startup. Like, like we're, we're on, they're expecting. This is, and, and that expectation from outsiders can weigh us down. And here's why, because that expectation leads to guilt and shame. This was me. I had relatives the first two years of, my, of our church, maybe longer. The first two years, every Sunday night would call. And you know what? Hey, how are you? Good. How are you? Good. Here's the question. How many did you have this morning? So I finally just started making stuff up. No, I'm just kidding. But it, it, it just tore at me. That these people who I loved and loved me, what they really wanted to be able to do was hang up the phone and tell their friends, my son's more successful this week than he was. Oops, I said my son. Tells you who it was, my relatives. <laughs> I call them mom and dad. It's, it's okay, they're not live streaming this. It's the afterthought room, right? I remember I already claimed that. It's not the afterthought room, I was teasing. First two years, how's it going? How's it going? How many did you have this morning? I don't know, Dad. I don't, we don't even, we don't even. I saw, that's, where, that's how I actually learned to stop checking attendance numbers until like Monday afternoon. Like I don't even want to know. Because it's not about that. Expectation from outsiders. Number three, expectations we put on God. Where does this expectation gap come from? Where does discouragement and defeat come from in our leadership? Number one, expectations from comparison. Number two, expectations from the outside. Number three, expectations we put on God. This was David when he was bringing the ark, remember, back? 
And the ark had not been in Jerusalem for a long, long time. And so David gets all this courage up and he's just gonna be bold for Jesus. Like, right, go bold for God. Like he's just gonna go for it. So he gets up the courage and he goes and he finds the ark and he, he gets ready to move it, right? Second Samuel chapter six, verse three, they set the ark of God on a new cart. Portable church right there, new cart. And he brought it from the house of Abinadab or from the trailer that it was stored in, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it, and Ahio was walking in front of it. Verse six, when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. Legitimate, okay? If you are doing portable church, oxen stumble. <laughs> Coffee bar carts get flat tires. At least that was our story back in the movie theater days. Like, right, it, it happens. Oxen stumble every once in a while. Surely the Lord understands. Because the oxen stumble, verse seven, the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down and he died there beside the ark. That's a bad day in portable church. Can we all just agree? You got somebody who goes down like for the count next to your coffee bar. That's a bad day. Well, that's David. Then here's what it says. David was angry because the Lord, the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. Seriously, God? Your ark, your, the, the thing that represents your presence has been disrespected, disregarded, abandoned forever. And I'm actually doing something about it. I actually moved my family 1,200 miles from the only home we've ever known in Indiana. Seriously, God? I actually put my whole retirement account into this startup of this church for you, for souls. I moved to hard soil places. I went to a tough city. I went through the training. We've sacrificed everything. Really, God? All I get for this is one of our young leaders goes down? Have you ever thought about the expectations you put on God in your church? You ever worked like crazy, overhauled a ministry, and at the end of it, the leader leaves your church upset, angry, and burned out? Those are the moments, aren't they? Where you're just like, seriously, Lord? We've been working like crazy. And after all this work, they're just gonna leave? Like, really? Where's the fairness in that, God? Expectations we put on God. Number four, expectations we put on ourselves. Expectations we put on ourselves. Do you remember in Matthew 17, when Jesus lays hands on his boys and he's like, all right, guys, go get them. And he sends them out and then they come and in contact with a demon-possessed man and they can't drive the demons out, remember? And then finally, like, they, they bring the demon-possessed boy to Jesus and Jesus is like, oh, this is easy, hit it. Demon goes and they're staying the disciples. What the heck's wrong with us? What, why, couldn't, why couldn't we do that? We put expectations on ourselves, don't we? All the time. Especially in leaders. Especially those of us leaders who are drivers. Which by virtue of the fact that you're at this conference in this room and doing ministry the way you are, that's you. Well, inevitably, we have expectations we put on ourselves as leaders, don't we? And guess what? Those expectations, if we don't learn how to manage them, if we don't learn how to navigate those expectations we put on ourselves, guess what happens? Hurt, discouragement. Where does discouragement come from? It comes from expectations we put on ourselves. But leaders, here's what I would say to you today. We learn more from our failures than we do our successes. 
And is it possible the thing you're kind of shaking your fist at God at, or worse, the thing you're shaking your fist at yourself at, is maybe just maybe God ordained to teach us something? I'm getting ahead of myself. Number five, five places that these expectations can, can trip us up in leadership. Number five are expectations we put on others. So number one, expectations from comparison. Number two, expectations from the outside. Number three, expectations we put on God. Number four, expectations we put on ourselves. And then number five, our expectations we put on others. These can cause discouragement in our heart. This was the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts. Remember Acts chapter 13 with John Mark, the young leader who was a whiny baby? Remember? You know what I'm talking about? And the Apostle Paul is like, tolerating it, tolerating it, listening, 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 being patient, being patient, being patient. And then finally, John Mark's like, hey, yeah, I think I'm, I'm gonna go home. I'm not sure this church planning thing is for me. And what does Paul do? Paul is like, you millennial punk <laughs> with your skinny jeans and your diva attitude and your little six-string guitar. You go home, but don't ever come back. That's what Paul says. Paul's like, no, I don't want to talk to him. I told him, if you leave, you only leave once, pal. There's no walking back. I am, there's a line, and I'm putting you on the other side today. Expectations we put on others can bring discouragement, can't they? Expectations we put on others. Leaders, listen, the young leaders in your organizations aren't the first ones to be flaky and wishy-washy. Paul had them too. But this is hard, isn't it? And this is what I want to talk about. This is hard because as leaders, as pastors, as shepherds, we want so much for people, don't we? And we believe in them. If we're guilty of anything in ministry, hopefully we're guilty of believing in people too much. And we believe in them so much and we trust them so much and we want to empower and give ministry away. And when we feel like they let us down, it can be so painful. It can hurt. You know why it hurts? Because we expected this. We got this. But pastors, let me challenge us. Leaders, let me challenge us this afternoon. What if expectations from comparison, expectations we put on God, expectation from others to us, expectation we put on ourselves, expectation we put on the leaders around us that create these gaps, that create these disappointments, this discouragement zone, this hurt zone. What if leaders, God is teaching us a greater work of patience and, and grace through this trial? Let me say it more simply. What if it's not always about numerical growth? What if it's about your growth? Yeah, but Matt, you don't understand. If that, like we were rolling, like, like we were, like we almost had three Sundays in a row that were awesome. Like we could see it. Like we were, we were, like that's the goal, right? By the way, you know that, right? John Siebling taught us that like 12 years ago. I remember being at an art conference and he's like, man, the goal forever is three in a row. And we're still trying. We're 16 years in and I think maybe twice we've had three in a row where it's like, yeah. I know what you're thinking. You're sitting here going, yeah, but Matt, if that young leader hadn't flaked out, like if that, if that worship guy hadn't bailed on us, yeah, but Matt, if that small group leader hadn't taken off with 40 of our people, we could have been. What if? What if numerical growth isn't what God wants right now? And I know. But brother, God loves lost people more than I do. I know. I know. But what if in the season you're in, 
it's more about what God wants to do in you than what God wants to do through you. Thanks, mom. She finally showed up. No, just kidding. Totally joking. Totally joking. Sorry. Sorry. You can be my bodyguard, though. That's awesome. Leaders, listen. Here's, here's what I want you to understand. Discouragement is part of the deal. And I'm afraid in the body of Christ, I'm afraid in church growth circles, and listen, I lead a whole network of, that focuses on church growth. Listen, I get it. I'm afraid that we're, there's not quite enough teaching about this. And yet, as a guy who coaches 110 plus pastors, can I tell you the reason why when the ark said, what do you want to talk about? I picked the subject help. I thought we'd be bigger by now. It's because discouragement is one of the number one issues that pastors and leaders deal with. The number one reason church planters quit, number one, is discouragement. Number two is unmet expectations. That's why you're in this room. And that's why I'm doing this session because I believe we've got to figure this out. So watch this. Discouragement is just part of the deal. So congratulations, Matt. You have officially dug us into a really depressing hole right now. You better get us out of this, brother, real quick. Good news, I got you. Ready? Three things you need to know. Three things you need to know. When it comes to discouragement and expectations and unmet expectations, three things you need to know. Here's, here's the first. Number one, remember a few things. Number one, God is interested in doing a good work in you, not just through you. Number one, you gotta get this. Remember, God is interested in doing a good work in you, not just through you. What if your church's journey isn't just about numerical growth, but is about your growth? Can I be honest with you? Not that I've been lying up until now. Our church attendance number has been flat for three years. Our church hasn't grown. Now listen, I'm not adding that to my bio, okay? I'm not saying, hey, Colby, make sure, bro. Make sure you tell him. Oh, and by the way, Keller's church hasn't grown in three years. Flat. These have been three of the most difficult, hardest years as we have remake, we had to remake our entire organization. We've transitioned a large percentage of our staff it's been so painful, but guess what? I wouldn't trade these last two years and three months for anything because the work God has done in me, the work that God has done in my wife, the work God has done in our team, the work God has done in our culture, I like my church now. Do I want it to grow? <laughs> you have no idea. Like, because I'm not sure how many more times I get invited back to do this if Keller can't figure the whole up into the right thing out a little. Here's, here's the deal. If your church isn't up into the right right now, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. God's got you. God's got you on your journey because he's trying to do something in you, not just through you. Does God love lost people more than you do? Yes, but God loves you more than you do. And maybe if we'd stop worrying so much about up and to the right and start worrying about, God, what's going on right here? Yeah. It's hard, it's humbling, but there's no downside to humility. So number one, God is interested in doing a good work in you, not just through you. Number two, write this down. Don't get flippant with God's glory. It will not be shared. What can I teach you about seasons of, of discouragement? What can I teach you? Well, I think I would teach you, don't get flippant with God's glory. It will not be shared. I'm about to say something really hard. So if you need like a coffee break or a restroom break, you've got about eight seconds to get out of the room. Is it possible that what we think are growth problems are actually pride problems? 
It was a year ago in May that I was not in a good place in my heart. And so I did a silence and solitude retreat. I took about two days and went out to the beach because we live near a beach. And so if you're gonna meet with Jesus, you might as well be in an awesome place. And the Lord dealt with me sternly. And God, God gave me this picture while I was on my silence and solitude retreat. Not praying about church growth. <laughs> praying about God, I want to be a leader that's in this for the long term. And I don't want to be an angry leader. And I don't want to be a discouraged leader. And I don't want to be a frustrated leader for the next 15 years of my ministry. So God, do a deep work in me. And the Lord gave me this picture and he spoke to me that I was like a greedy kid whose dad gave him a bag of candy with 3,000 pieces in it. And I ran into the bedroom, because that's about the size of our church, 3,000 people. And the picture I saw in my mind's eye that the Lord dropped in my spirit was, Matt, you're like that kid who got a huge bag of candy and you ran into your bedroom and you slammed the door behind you and you locked the door. And you left me in the hallway and you sat on the floor and with candy in your mouth, you yelled outside, God, can I have more candy? God, I want more candy. God, can I have candy? And then the Lord just convicted my heart and said, Matt, you're a dad. Would you give a kid who acted like that more? Pastors, let's be careful not to make church growth the idol in the name of lost people. Is it possible we don't care about lost people as much as we care about vision fulfillment? Here's how I wrote it. I'll just keep looking down because the eye contact thing gets weird. <laughs> if you ever say things like, if we had blank more people, then we could do or have blank, you may not be in love with lost people as much as you think you are. Yeah, but if our church grew by like 100 people, then we could like probably afford a building. If our church grew by like another 150 people, then we could, we could add like two and a half more staff. Well, if our church grew by, then we could... These are not widgets. They are souls. And it's not about us and an easier life or a better life or more staff or more fancy moving lights. Lost people matter to God. It's not just about church growth. Those are real people. And maybe just maybe Jesus wants to break your heart for lost people, for something greater in this season of flat. I know that's what he's done in me. Number three, God's always about the process, not the destination. God's always about the process, not the destination. As I mentioned a few minutes ago, Sarah and I have been at this for 16 years. And I'm just telling you, the further I, I go, the more I realize that the goal line we chase is always moving. And some of you, you can't figure out why your expectations keep going unmet. Here's the reason why. Anybody like watching football, American football? No, it has to be said, American football. <laughs> nothing, nothing wrong with the other football. It's global, it's cool. It's awesome. FIFA 2018, let's go. But American football, there's a thing called the red zone, right? When you get inside the 20-yard line, it's the red zone. You're in the red zone. Leaders, guess what? Anytime for us as leaders, we get inside the 20 for a vision, 
guess what our mind automatically starts to do? Move the goal line. You know why? Because as soon as we get in the red zone, we're like, I can see the touchdown from here. Awesome. Okay, you guys, I know we only need 20 yards, but dude, if you go out deep 50 yards, I bet you I can hit you. We move the goal line every time. And as a guy who has pastored four people in a coffee shop, 44 people in a movie theater, 244 people in a movie theater four years later, 744 people in a high school, 1,044 people in a high school seven years ago, and now 3,044 people in three locations, I'm just telling you, there's always a next there. There's always the goal line that moves. And so if we can't learn to manage our expectations, if we can't learn that the process is, is the destination, the journey is the destination, and God wants to do something in me now, whether my church grows by 200 people this year or not, if we can't learn to manage those expectations, I'm just telling you, it is a long, lonely road because the goal line always just keeps moving. We gotta manage that. We're always moving the goal line. When we were, I remember we had, I remember when we first started our church, I had this thought of like, man, what would it be like to pastor like 600 people in a weekend? And some of you, you're like, yeah, dude, what would it be like? I know, I remember. And then our church was five or six years in and, and we got to that five or 600 mark and it was like, awesome. I remember the first Easter, we broke 700. And it was like, mmm. My buddy and I went back to the office on Monday morning after Easter at 704 or whatever it was. Yeah. And we sat down, we got Starbucks because we were living large. And it was like, ah, cheers. And we're sitting in my office, never forget, sitting in my office and we're like, man, dude, 700 people were in church yesterday. 700, we started with four, like we, 700 people. And then the conversation lulled for like 35 or 40 seconds. I remember I was sitting there, you know, I had my feet up on this little whatever. Conversation lulls for 40 seconds. And I look at him and he looks at me and I go, I wonder what a thousand feels like. And then we broke a thousand. And I went, I wonder what 1500 feels like. And then we broke 1500 and you go, 2000, that's the official definition of a megachurch. Dude, we're almost a megachurch. If we could just call ourselves a megachurch. So then we broke 2000. And then you start coming around and they're like, oh, we have eight campuses. Oh, we have 14 campuses. Oh, we have seven campuses. Oh, we have three campuses. We got to have a campus. We got to start a campus. We need a campus. Some of you right now, you're going, oh, we're, just, we're, just, we're going multi-site. We're going multi-site. Listen, multi-site is sexy in the magazine. I'm just telling you, you bring home that mail-order bride, she doesn't look like the magazine, brother. I'm just telling you. Can I get an amen, sweetheart? Unbelievable. It's hard. Anyway, we have 17 minutes left. I want us to do a little Q&A. We're talking about expectations. You got a manager there to hear. We're dealing with all this. I know this is a little heavy for a 3.15 in the afternoon session, and I know a lot of you are like, hey, Keller, you're the guy. Like, give us the leadership stuff. I think I did. Let's talk about it. What do you got? Raise your hand and we'll have our, our guy right here in the middle and right here, they'll run to you, okay? Come on, let's do it. Awesome, yes, great. Let's rock and roll. Yeah, right down, right here, right here in front. Yeah, go ahead. They'll get it. Go ahead, man, just shout it out, I got you. How do, you, how do you navigate that balance between always wanting to push the envelope yeah. and, and not being satisfied, knowing that God has uh, anointed you for more and that yeah. he wants to see soul saved, but still being content in the season and where I'm at right now? Like, where's, that where's the line drawn in that tension between the two? That's the, that's the million dollar question. And, and you're so, no, I'm so thankful that you asked that because that is the tension because we have to have a there and we have to push our team and we have to motivate our team. But we can't, 
we can't hook our self-worth to goal completion. And that's what we do in leadership. And so we have to manage that. And cons- honestly, man, it's, a, it's when David prayed in, in Psalms and he said, God, judge my motives because I don't even think I can judge my own motives right now. Like, I don't even know where my heart's at. From day to day, moment to moment, goal to goal, season to season, we have to manage our own expectations. We have to constantly be bringing our heart back to God saying, God, what's my expectation? What's my reality? that's called hurt, then Lord, I got to bring this hurt to you and I need you to heal this hurt. Does that make sense? So we have to manage that expectation. That's, that is what, what it's all about. It's constantly doing that and then bringing accountability into that, letting other people speak to that, having a safe place where you can put those conversations, being able to say it out loud, being able to call somebody and go, dude, I don't like my, my life right now. And, and having that person not only listen, but be able to speak truth, grace and truth in relationship. You don't need friends who just give you grace and, and agree with you. Yeah, your life does suck right now. You need them to say that, but you know what else you need them to say? Yeah, but Keller, look how far you've come. Yeah, but Keller, focus on what is going right. And let me say this one more thing on, on your question, my man. And it's this, what do we do to manage that tension? Focus on the one focus on the one. Redefine success. The success is not always about goal accomplishment. Success is about one story of life change. And we in the church have the greatest in the business world. They don't actually understand life change because they can't figure out how the widget they created actually does change somebody's life. We deal in life change. We just skip over life change and make it about numbers. What the business world would love to do is skip over the numbers and make it about life change. So, so, so force yourself. What is a win? Here's how we define a win at Next Level Church. A name and a story. So when you get in that season of tension, you got to focus on the name and the story. Like, it's not about 14 more middle schoolers this week than we had last week. It's about a middle schooler named Jan who came in who's been cutting herself. You got you to get real close to the stories. Great question. Next question. Yes, go ahead. Yeah. Th- thank you, Matt. It's so helpful what you've just said. Can I, it's a similar question to that one. Yeah. In terms of how do you, or what is the process you go through in terms of setting goals as a team and then ensuring that they are healthy, that you know, they're not kind of dragged by some of these expectations that you spoke about. How do you actually do that? What is the process you go through for that? Yeah, good question. In terms of goal setting, um, it's... We have, goals are necessary. Again, you have to put those goals out there and say, this is the next mountain that we're going to climb. Um, but, but again, you, you then, uh, what I think is healthy on a team is that we can't... Let me illustrate this, and then I'll back myself out of it. So when my book, God of the Underdogs, came out several years ago, we did a church campaign, and so many of you did the Underdogs Church series. We gave away more free resources for God of the Underdogs um, to churches than any other church in American history. I called Rick Warren, and he told me that. He's like, Matt, you gave away more free stuff with this series than, than Craig or anybody else in church history for one series. It was awesome. We had Anyway, so I remember sitting down with our team and saying to them, I believe we can get 200 churches to do God of the Underdogs in the fall of 2013 or whatever it was. 200 churches. So we had to have that goal. We had to have that bullseye to aim at. But I remember Sarah looking at me one night and she said, because we were struggling to get the church number up there, and she looked at me and she said, how are you going to feel if we don't hit 200? She said, I'm scared of that goal because if we don't get there, I'm afraid my husband's going to crash. And I looked at her and I said, babe, I understand that concern, but here's the deal. We have to put a number out there to manage, to create toward. But if if we do our best, if we give it our all, if we only come in at 125, then that's not one plants and other waters, but the Lord gives the increase. So, so we have to be careful that we don't hook our self-worth to, to because... <laughs> Because if you only get to 199, that's not failure. 199 churches did the series. We have to teach our teams that. What's dangerous here, leaders, is if we say we want 200 at the picnic or 200 in small groups or 200 in churches, and they, if, they don't, if we don't teach them right, 
that this is about faithfulness, not about the number at the end of the day, then they're gonna think they've failed us when we don't hit 200. That is not what we want in leadership. That's not failure. 125 is not failure. 19 is not failure. Did we do everything within our power to plant into water and then to trust God with the increase? That's, does that make sense? So I don't know that I articulated it in a sound bite. You can't tweet it, but you could blog about it on Facebook. There you go. Awesome. Other questions about this stuff? Yes, right here. Hey, thank you so much. And I, you answered a lot of what I was going to ask And first off. but Good, so we're just hanging out now. Yeah, exactly. Let's awesome. just talk. Good, I like um, it. But practically, what are some of the things that you've put in place now that you had that retreat, you figured out where you were in your heart? Uh, what are some of the practical things that you've put in place that you don't go back to that spot, but you manage your expectations well? Um, staying in line with, with what God's calling you to? Good question. Um, I think uh, one of the biggest ones is accountability. Um, I have had to repent to my team. Uh, I've had to repent to our staff. Um, I have had to own that pride was my motivator and that I was a selfish kid with a big bag of candy who only wanted more because of me. Um, well, in the process of all of that repenting, um, you build in some of accountability with that. So I think accountability with others is, is a big deal. Um, accountability with my wife matters a lot because she knows me better than anybody. And she sees me in a more intimate space than anybody. And so she's able to speak to the condition of my heart. And so to honestly be teachable and allow her, give her permission to speak into that. And then I would say accountability to the Lord I have to daily get up and surrender my there because I know the dream. I know the vision God has put in my heart for my life and for our church and our ministry and our tribe, our network of churches. Like, I know the dream. But God, it's all just about you and it's all just about lost people. And I can't have any ego hooked into that at all or I'm gonna get in the way. Does that make sense? So uh, that's, it's a lot. It's, it's, it's all about our heart. And pastors, I'm 16 years into this. I've been in full-time ministry 20, almost 25 years. It's, the further I go, the more I realize it's just a whole lot about this. We want it to be about all this. What I'm discovering is God uses all of this to really just keep working on this. Other, again, thanks mom in the back. Appreciate that. She is into it and I love that. You should be sitting closer. Awesome. Somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I'm a student pastor at my church. I've been there three years and we've had, we've been trying to break the thousand barrier. Come uh, on. Since for I've the church there. or for the student ministry? For the church. I wish. No, for the church. <laughs> uh, but You'll get there. Thank you. But we've had a lot of meetings where our pastors, you know, have been saying, we're going to hit a thousand this month, we're going to average a thousand this month. And then it doesn't happen. And then yeah. nobody talks about it. It's kind of like, you can feel the, the mood and staff meeting. And yeah. I just wanted to kind of ask like in a supportive role, how can you support your leader and the team when it comes to handling that disappointment and discouragement? Is there, what, what can I do uh, from that position? Man, that is a really, really good question. Um, it's not always easy to lead um, from below and lead up. My hope would be that if you sat down with your pastor and said, hey, you know what? I love that we set that goal. Um, I feel like maybe some of the team, including myself, is, is a little disappointed and discouraged that we didn't hit that goal. What if we took the first 15 minutes in staff meeting and just went around and said how we're all feeling about it. Now, I don't know. You might not have a leader who's you know, willing to be vulnerable enough to, to speak that way or to allow true conversation. But the truth is you have to talk about when it comes to hurt, there's who hurt me, what did they do? And then here's maybe the most important thing. How did that make me feel? So see, see so often in leadership, so often in life, we, people hurt us or circumstances hurt us and we never give ourselves permission to feel. 
So what you can do, and even with other staff potentially, is talk about the discouragement. Go to lunch with one of them and just say, hey man, I know we set that goal and we were all pushing hard and we did everything we possibly could and then we, only, we came up at you know, 889 and we didn't hit the goal again. How'd that make you feel? And just lead with vulnerability and just say, you know what? Because it, it made me feel like, man, why do I even try? It made me feel like I was mad at God a little bit, like God didn't come through for us this time. It made me feel a little discouraged. It made me feel disappointed and open up that kind of vulnerable conversation. There's healing in that. When we can own how we feel about the gap, there's a whole lot of healing that the Lord can do in our heart. Does that make sense? So, so again, the hope would be that your leader would facilitate that kind of vulnerability where you can just all talk about it and just pray and say, you know what? God, well, I feel like God let me down. God let us down, man. We, we killed ourselves and God didn't come through or our people didn't come through or people didn't invite their friends or our programming didn't come through. What, you gotta talk about it. You gotta, you gotta, otherwise, we just stuff it, stuff it, stuff it, stuff it, stuff it, and then we just, we're just living with all this frustration from the gap. Does that make sense? Great question, man. Great question. Other question. Yeah, right here. Uh, Two-part question. How do you discern the difference between an organizational lid and a personal leadership lid where you're the problem versus an organizational structural issue? And then once you discern that, how do you keep your team inspired while you're in the midst of that challenge? <laughs> well, look at the time, everybody. Let's close in prayer. Um. Number one, I would almost be willing to say every organizational lid. Dude, I wasn't really dismissing. I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, you're the mic guy. I'm just kidding. Sorry, Colby. It's all fun and games until they mute you. Be nice to them. I would, I would go out on a limb to say almost every organizational lid always has something to do with us. That's what Sarah and I were talking about in the panel thing yesterday in the main deal, is it, it, it really does start with me. It, it always starts with me um, and then us. So, so that's the first thing is always look inward first because God's trying to do a good work in us. But then secondly, how do you keep your team motivated and all of that? Um, I, it, again, it doesn't mean we don't keep casting vision to the there. So there is always more to, as long as there are lost people in your city, then there's more to do. So, so we can be doing that while God's doing the deep work in us. Does that make sense? So, so I don't, those don't feel mutually exclusive to me. God's always done a deep work in me all the while we're pushing things forward. We're revamping creative. We're doing this in student ministry. We're do, so, you know, it's, it's, so I don't think it's a, it's, you just keep doing what you're doing. Keep pushing the goal out. Keep saying, look, let's do that. Let's go there. Come on, God. Let's go there. Good question. Time for a couple more. Yes. Okay. As an associate pastor at, at my church, how can I be there for my senior pastor? Because we've been through a, a season mm. of a plateau. I mean, it's, it's not just one disappointment. It is years of disappointment. Yeah. And I, and I feel it. And, um, and I know he feels it way more than I feel it. So yeah. how can I be there for him during this time? Man, that is such a great question. I love your heart. Um, a couple of thoughts on that. Number one, um, ask him how he feels. Use the word imagine. I would imagine it's pretty hard to be you right now. I would imagine, I, I, I don't, I don't know what it's like to sit in your chair, Pastor, but I would imagine sitting in your chair right now is really hard. So, so just <laughs> never underestimate how lonely your pastor really is. That's why we do what we do with coaching. So if you can just let him know that you know and that you don't know, but you do know. Like I, and, then, and then here's the second thing I would say. Affirm to him that you're, you're with him heart and soul. If that's true in your spirit, tell him. Tell him. Pastor, I want you to know this has been a rough season. Man, there's been a lot of rough water, a lot of transition, a lot of hurt, a lot of discouragement. Just want you to know I'm with you, man. Whatever you need. I'm just telling you, any senior leaders, amen that in the room. Golly, isn't it true? Just because here's why. Because all the senior leaders in the room know when you hit rough waters, you literally are like, 
I am going to, like, this is, I'm giving my life to this. Like, if, if this thing goes under, all of you go get another job. I'm homeless. Like, this is it. And you start questioning everything in seasons of discouragement and, and difficulty. And so anyone around you that can look at you and go, you're not alone. I got you, pastor. I'm with you, heart and soul. I'm not going anywhere. I love you. I'm just, if that's really what's in your heart, speak that out. Your senior leader needs to hear that. I love your heart, man. That is a great question. Awesome. We'll do one more right here and then we're going to close. How do you handle it when, as a senior pastor or staff in general, a goal isn't met? How do you address that to your congregation? Uh, I would say it's, it's the exact same that you do with your team. Um, and that is, uh, we, we run right at it and we turn the light on. Um, don't run away from it. Don't, don't pretend nothing's happening. Um, stand up and say, man, we were, here's, you, got, you all know, you were tracking with us, you were praying with us, we were praying for whatever goal. And I want you to know that, that God has provided to this mark and man, we are celebrating that. And that looks, you know, that's amazing. Do we wish it was here? We do. So like own that. And maybe some of you are like, oh man. And just like, if it were me, I would just, I would just own that and just go, man, we had hoped that we'd be there by now. But we're not. But here's what we do know. So, so cause what you want to do is, what I'm getting at is you want to validate how they feel. Because that's because they're hurt too. They have the expectation gap too. So as a leader, anytime we take the stage, anytime we as a communicator or a leader can 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 say out loud what our audience is feeling or thinking in their head, there's instant connection. So as a leader, in that moment where they're feeling that gap, I want to speak to what I know they're thinking in their head and feeling in their heart, which is, oh man, we we didn't hit the goal. So validate that and then point to hope. Does that make sense? So we go, and I know some of you right now are going, shoot, man, we didn't hit our goal. I know. And I, I'm telling you what, the first three days of this week, that's exactly how I felt. So you know what I did? I ate a lot of ice cream and watched movies. But guess what? Here's what I do know. I do know that last weekend, two teenagers walked in and in our 1115 service gave their life to Christ standing right up here at the altar. And their names were Sid and Steve, and man, I, let me tell you, those two young men, their life is gonna be changed. And guys, guess what? We're, we're not where we wanna be, but we're further than we were last week. And so you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna keep doing what we did last week, which is keeping on for the vision. You know why? Because there's more lost people in our city that need Jesus right now. So as long as there are Sid and Steve's, we're gonna just keep moving on this. You're clapping because you feel hope. That's what you do. Does that make sense? That's how you do it. Just own it. And you will gain leadership credibility by owning it like that. Does that make sense? Listen, discouragement is a reality of ministry. But living in it, sulking in it, and living under the weight of it, being buried by it, does not have to be a reality. Would you bow your heads real quick? If you're in this room right now and you're, you're in a season of discouragement, lift your hand, I wanna pray for you. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Guess what, Sarah and I's hands are up. Jesus, you see the leaders in this room, mine hand included, who are going back to situations that are less than we wanted them to be. God, some of us are hurt right now. We're hurt because of the expectations that aren't being met in our heart. God, we thought we'd be further. We thought we'd be better. We thought we'd be healthier. We thought we'd be past all of this by now. But God, for whatever reason, we're not. And so today, we rise up. Today, we stand up underneath it. We don't fix our eyes on what is seen, but we fix our eyes on what is unseen. And what is unseen is that you are the Lord of the church. This is your bride and you love her way more than we do. And so God, today, I pray a spirit of encouragement would begin to flow. I pray that every single person whose hand is raised right now would know that they're not alone, that they would understand that discouragement's part of the deal, but we don't have to live under it forever. So God, would you set us free today? Would you let a spirit of joy, God, even tonight, would we, could we worship you differently?
because we've laid down that discouragement. Lord, some of us need to do some forgiving. We need to forgive ourselves for not living up the expectations we had of ourselves. We need to forgive some of our team members. Some of us need to forgive you or our supporters. And so God, I pray that before this conference ends at the end of tonight, that we would have a moment where we would truly forgive in our heart the people, including ourselves, that we need to forgive. God, we wanna be in this for the long haul. And we wanna lead out of encouragement and joy, not discouragement and despair. So God, I thank you for these who had the courage to come into a room like this and a breakout like this. God, I pray blessing over their hearts. Do in us what you wanna do, that we might lead your church the way you want us to lead her. In your name, amen. Once again, thank you. MattKellerOnline.com slash ArcBonus. ArcBonus, go there. All of our coaching information is there. The Matt Keller Leadership Podcast, uh, which is a monthly leadership deal, is all there. So thank you so much for being here, everybody. Get ready for Brian Houston tonight. We love you.